Hello and welcome to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Abortion debate in Florida. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody wants to remove a so-called right to abortion from the state's constitution. Florida State Representative Anthony Sabatini joins us to discuss abortion limits in his state and what comes next for Florida in the fight to save lives. Attacks on pro-life institutions. We take a look at a threat assessment issued by the Religious Freedom Institute, which notes that there are high chances that attacks against pro-life pregnancy centers will continue. Nathaniel Hurd of the Religious Freedom Institute joins us with the details. Helping mothers in need. A single mother says having her baby saved her life, and she's now working to spread the word about the help she received from the leaders of a maternity home in Virginia. Danielle Nicholson, former resident at the Paul Steffen home and mom to Leilani, shares how she is now helping other women choose life. Florida state leaders are cracking down on abortion. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody is exploring ways to eliminate the so-called right to abortion that currently exists in the state's constitution. And the state is fining a central Florida abortion clinic in the amount of $193,000 for failing to abide by pro-life state laws. While many red states have moved to ban almost all abortions, Florida is the only state that currently has a 15-week limit on abortion in effect, according to Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America's Life savinglaws.com. And joining me now is Anthony Sabatini. He serves Florida's 32nd district in the Florida State House. Thanks so much for joining me, Rep Sabatini. You've served in the State House since 2018, so talk to me about the legislation that you've supported to stop abortions and save babies in your state. Sure. Well, uh, obviously, we're very happy about the Dobbs decision. It's opened up a lot of new opportunities for uh, the state of Florida to uh, go much further in protecting the lives of unborn children. So this year, we passed a a 15-week ban. I think that's a good start, but really, I've been pushing for a much stronger uh, set of protections for unborn children, and I do believe that the Harpy, uh, Harpy bill is going to pass, which is a uh, uh, moving the uh, prohibition period for having an on-demand abortion to six weeks. I think that's going to pass this spring, so we're pretty excited about that. Of course, I believe wiping into conception, I think we need a total ban on abortion, but I think for Florida, the next step is going to the Harpy bill. Absolutely. And I want to talk a little more about that. You know, it took a long time for Florida to, to enact its 15-week limit. So what's it going to take um, for, for stronger protections to be passed? You know, now that Roe has gone over, a dozen red states have essentially banned abortion altogether. Florida's the only one that has this 15-week limit. Yeah, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I was very much a critic of the bill. I mean, anytime you're, you're getting closer to stronger protections for pro-life, uh, you know, I support that, but we should have much, went much further. I mean, when the country, France, has stronger protections for unborn children than your state in the United States, that's, a, that's an epic failure. So uh, I want us to go uh, in a much stronger direction, but the problem was twofold. One, uh, we had really bad state Supreme Court precedent. We used to have a very liberal state Supreme Court, which enacted uh, an interpretation of the state privacy clause that was even more stringent than the federal constitution, so therefore more pro, um, pro-choice or pro-death, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, than even what the federal constitution allowed. So we had to get over that hump by getting new justices. And second of all, we just need more willpower amongst our legislature. You know, our legislature is not as strong as Governor DeSantis. I don't think they're uh, doing enough to push a stronger bill, but I do think 
after the election, we're going to you're going to see a lot more pressure get put on the Republican legislators and uh, see if they'll join my position, which is going further than 15 weeks. Well, thanks for that insight. And, you know, Rep Sabatini, we talk on this show a lot, not just about ending abortions, but also restoring a culture that totally protects families and children. Talk to me a little bit about the biggest problems that families in Florida are facing right now and what you're doing to solve those problems. Sure. Well, obviously, the biggest problems in the country right now are this horrible economy, which is robbing from the middle class, the working class, uh, the stagnation that we're seeing, the inflation, the robbery at the gas pump. That's all by design. It's all been designed by uh, the Democrats, not just accidental. They're, they really do enjoy uh, putting a, a environmental climate change uh, agenda more than alleviating pain of the middle class and working classes of the country. So we need to change that. Uh, and the best thing to do that is through tax cuts and economic mobility, economic opportunity, and also fighting the Biden crime wave. Uh, you know, the Democrats, in my opinion, are a party that uh, doesn't mind crime. They don't really have an issue with massive amounts of crime and violence in the streets. And so, uh, you know, I believe that we need to end crime. We need to be tougher on crime. And those are the two big things we're taking very seriously in Florida with Governor DeSantis passing stronger, tough on crime policies and also things to alleviate uh, uh, the pain of this Biden economy and do tax cuts. I think those are important things. But I think the biggest thing we can do to revive uh, parental rights and family and uh, really to have a religious revival in this country is go to a universal school choice system. We need to go further for school choice. We need to have 100% school choice so we can get more children in Christian education uh, at no cost to their parents. Yeah. Uh, they're already paying for a public school system that's largely secular and materialistic. We need to move away from that. Mm, well said. And we have about 30 seconds left, but I want to ask you, I know you're a fellow Catholic. How does your faith motivate you to fight for the family? I, I also noticed you recently announced that you're expecting a baby. So congratulations on that. Thank you. We're very excited and uh, really looking forward to my first child. And uh, yeah, my Catholic faith informs everything I do. It's one of the things that uh, induced me to get involved in politics of reading uh, uh, you know, a lot of Catholic and Christian literature is what made me think I needed to get involved in the public sphere. So uh, it's, a, it's foundational for me. Mm, that's great to know. Well, we're praying for you in your fight to make Florida more pro-life. Thanks for joining us today, State Representative Anthony Sabatini. Thank you. God bless. Take care. And joining us now to continue the discussion is Mallory Carroll, Vice President of Communications at Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America. Mallory, thanks for joining me. Your president, Marjorie Dannenfelser, led a press conference with Senator Graham this week to introduce the Protecting Pain-Capable Unborn Children from Late-Term Abortions Act. Talk to me about SBA's position on what should happen legislatively on the federal level in the weeks and months to come. Yes. Well, the most important thing, Prudence, is that our federal lawmakers need to recognize that there is indeed a role for them to play in this new Dobbs era and that we need a minimum standard at the federal level to protect babies as much as we can in these ultra blue pro-abortion states that are not only moving in the opposite direction from pro-life places such as Mississippi and Arkansas, but they are actually seeking to expand um, and promote their states as abortion destinations. So we are incredibly proud to support Senator Graham's legislation that would get the United States off the list of the, the seven countries, including China and North Korea, that allow extremely permissive um, abortions in the, in the um, and so in the late term. And so we are hoping to rally more co-sponsors to this legislation and hopefully to see a vote 
when Republicans take back the House and Senate, hopefully in the next Congress. Yes, and speaking of taking back the House and Senate, we have the midterm elections right around the corner. Can you tell me a bit about your group's campaign leading up to November 8th? Where is your energy focused in these last weeks, months before the election? Well, all of our energy is focused on these Senate battlegrounds because if the opposite of getting a vote on Senator Graham's very reasonable bill, that's of course just a minimum, a starting point for the federal um, for the federal government, is the pro-abortion Democratic plan, which is the deceptively named Women's Health Protection Act. And if they just get a few more votes in the U.S. Senate uh, after the November midterms, then we're looking at a possible situation where they could completely upend the filibuster and open up a, a, a gateway for pro-abortion legislation. Um, that is a very bad situation. That's what we have to avoid at all costs. Mm. Talk to me about some of the extreme opponents that pro-life candidates are up against in November. I noticed you all recently called out Pennsylvania Senate candidate John Fetterman, who's been endorsed by NARAL Pro-Choice America and Planned Parenthood for some of his recent campaigning. Well, yes, John Fetterman in Pennsylvania, he's probably top of the list in terms of the most vocal pro-abortion um, Senate candidate. He has just... Um, you know, been very, uh, just very forward about his pro-abortion views. Also the incumbents that we're looking at, you know, there's Raphael Warnock in, in Georgia. He's a pastor. He calls himself proudly pro-choice Christian. Uh, Mark Kelly in Arizona, Senator Maggie Hassan and Senators Cortez Masto in Nevada. We've got really extreme incumbents who we're hoping to defeat. They're all original co-sponsors of that Women's Health Protection Act, which would just undo every federal and state limit on abortion up to this point, and it would prevent future lawmakers, even state lawmakers, from passing laws that reflect the values of the people that live there. So um, basically, everybody who's in the Senate now that's up for re-election, um, and then, of course, candidates like like John uh, Fetterman, who have been just making no uh, effort to hide their pro-abortion extremist position, which is great. We're taking that information directly to the voters across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Yeah, thanks for bringing up those other battlegrounds states as well. That's important for our viewers to hear. And before I let you go, I wanted to note that SBA Pro-Life America held its annual gala here in D.C. this week. It was such a beautiful, fun celebration. Can you share a little bit about the night, especially given that this was the first time SBA had a big celebratory event um, after the fall of Roe versus Wade? Yes, it's, it was the first celebration in quite a long time after, you know, this uh, the, the COVID pandemic preventing a lot of pro-life gatherings from happening. It was a beautiful evening, a celebration of life and love and the uh, the love that the pro-life movement has for women in uh, facing unexpected pregnancies and for their children and the justice and mercy that we believe both of those parties are owed. And so it was great to be with everyone, including so many from the EWTN Pro-Life Weekly team and EWTN News Nightly. Great to see our friends and to have uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia, Senator Tim Scott from South Carolina give really powerful remarks reflecting on the, the joy of this moment and the opportunity and responsibility we have as a movement to, to go forward and to enact life-saving law and policy at the state and federal level. Mm -hmm. It was certainly so joyful to be there, and we're so grateful for you all and the SBA Pro-Life America team. Thanks for joining us, Mallory Carroll.
Thanks, Prudence. Three months after the Supreme Court ended Roe v. Wade, the Religious Freedom Institute, also known as RFI, has issued a threat assessment with details about the dangerous actors attacking pro-life Americans of faith. The research commissioned by RFI unfortunately found that the prospect of continued attacks is very high. Nathaniel Hurd, director of RFI's North America Action Team, commented, saying, too many law enforcement agencies and journalists are ignoring these crimes, a lack of concern consistent with their responses to attacks against Catholic churches over the past few years. All Americans, religious or not, pro-life or not, should condemn these assaults and the irresponsible indifference of federal and state governments. And joining me now is Nathaniel Hurd of the Religious Freedom Institute with more details about this report. Thanks so much for joining me, Nathaniel. It's good to be here. Yeah, well, you know, a combined 100-plus pro-life organizations and churches have been attacked or vandalized in the wake of the Dobbs decision. So what more can we expect when it comes to this? And, and can anything be done about what's happening here? The lack of response uh, from law enforcement, uh, from elected representatives, and from the press uh, is contributing to a culture of uh, impunity. Um, the kind of criminals that have done this, uh, and potential criminals as well, will be emboldened. Um, they'll get the message that we can attack pro-life uh, congregations, Catholic churches, and pro-life uh, organizations, particularly pregnancy centers, uh, and get away with it. So our threat assessment found that um, while the, the, the volume that we saw, the explosion in attacks uh, following first the Dobbs leak and then the Dobbs decision, may dissipate somewhat over the years, um, we can still expect, expect attacks, and these attacks may grow even more violent. Mm, very interesting. And you know, Fox News just reported in a new piece that while it's confirmed that the group Jane's Revenge has carried out over a dozen of these attacks, zero arrests have taken place. Would RFI support federal legislation that would label these groups for what they are, domestic terrorists? You know, some Republicans have introduced legislation on this front, so I'm curious to know what you think about it. I think the first order problem that we have is that the laws that are already on the books, these crimes that are being committed, uh, are crimes under federal law. And the problem is that law enforcement officials are not doing enough. But if it turns out that uh, more can be done, that the statute um, would enable even more action to be taken to prevent these kind of violent attacks, and to really have accountability for these criminals, then certainly we would support that kind of legislation. Good to know, good to know. And you know better than most people that our government has an unfortunate history history of neglecting to investigate crimes against religious institutions and people of faith going years back. Can you elaborate on that a little bit, maybe share some examples for our viewers? Sure. I think what we've really seen develop over the years is uh, two standards. Uh, one standard of, of uh, justice and law enforcement response for um, communities that um, everyone agrees are at risk or under attack. The Jewish community, for example. I mean, no religious community in the United States is uh, more at risk than the Jewish community. Black churches, for example. Uh, when they are attacked, the response is rightfully condemnation uh, and vigorous uh, investigations, prosecutions, and, and convictions. It seems as if a different standard is, is has developed when it comes to, for example, pro-life organizations and uh, faith traditions like the Catholic Church. Whether or not there is a response seems now to depend on your views. Mm -hmm. 
about things like abortion. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And, you know, a new bill was just introduced by Democrats called the Stop Anti-Abortion Disinformation Act. This bill would essentially make it legal to penalize these groups just for being pro-life and make it very difficult for them to advertise to their potential clients online um, via social media. And pro-abortion Senator Catherine Cortez Masto recently threw her support behind this. What are your thoughts on, on these legislative actions from Democrats? This kind of legislation is, is perplexing. I used to volunteer for and be on the board of a pro-life pregnancy resource center and maternity home. The center was entirely transparent about what it did, the services it provided, the services that it didn't provide. So to me, it's a mystery, I mean, other than the fact that they really want to shut these kind of organizations down. And one thing I would just note is that this is not just a pro-life issue. This is also a religious freedom issue as well. It, when we looked, when we looked at the organizations that have been attacked, uh, up almost 40% of them are faith-based. They have a religious, a very clear and explicit religious motivation. Sure. But those that do not, the staff, the volunteers, and the board members are almost all people of faith who are expressing that with caring for mothers and their children, both born and unborn. So these attacks are not just an attack on people and property and on the pro-life movement. It's also an attack on religious freedom in the yeah. United States. Yeah, very well said. Thanks for all of the work that you're doing on this. Look forward to having you on again to keep updating us. Nathaniel Hurd of the Religious Freedom Institute. Thank you. Coming up, a news anchor calls pro-life advocates, quote, heretics because of their beliefs. I speak out. And a mother says that her daughter's life saved her own. Now she spreads the word about the help she received at a pro-life maternity home in Virginia. She shares her story next. Welcome back to EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. South Carolina failed to pass a strong pro-life law, and the media pounced, attacking people of faith, claiming that Jesus never said killing innocent people is wrong. That is this week's Speak Out segment. We're disappointed to report that due to disagreements among Republican members of the South Carolina legislature, a proposed heartbeat bill has been stalled. The state's 20-week limit on abortion remains in effect. But what's even more appalling is that former congressman and MSNBC host Joe Scarborough is using this news to call pro-life advocates heretics for connecting their faith and their belief in Jesus to their pro-life convictions. Jesus never once talked about abortion. Days ago, Scarborough ranted on live television that Jesus never said anything about abortion. Well, Joe, it doesn't take a biblical scholar to point to the scores of times Jesus made clear that killing people was not something he endorsed. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 18, Jesus says, you shall not murder. In John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And one of his chief commandments, thou shalt not kill. I wonder what Joe would have to say about the fact that Jesus came to earth not as a wealthy king or popular statesman, but as an unborn baby. Scarborough's comments are blasphemous, and he'll certainly have to answer for them. Why would any person of faith listen to a self-proclaimed backsliding Baptist when it comes to scripture? He's not convincing anyone of his views, and his Twitter followers aren't afraid to let him know. In the words of one of them, this is a new low for Morning Joe. 
Despite constant attacks against pregnancy resource centers and maternity homes from the pro-abortion lobby, one mother says she owes her life to one. Danielle Nicholson says she received help from the Paul Steffen Foundation as she went through a crisis situation during her pregnancy. She says upon arriving there in need of help, she was met with grace and understanding from the founders of the center, Randy and Evelyn James. She is now a foster care social worker in Virginia and attributes her success to the fresh start she had upon giving birth to her baby girl, Leilani. And joining us now via Zoom is Danielle Nicholson, former resident at the Paul Steffen home. Danielle, thanks for joining us. Tell us about what happened when you found out you were pregnant and what was going on in your life at that time. Hey, thank you so much. So um, I found out I was pregnant at 20 years old. And at the time, my situation was pretty dire in that I wasn't working towards any future goals for myself. Um, I wasn't living a very good life. I was just trying to get by. But the moment I found out that I was pregnant completely changed the trajectory for my life. Um, I realized that I now had a little baby that I needed to live for. And so I immediately changed my mindset and decided to live a sober life. Um, stopped doing the, the things that I was used to doing, which brought me some type of comfort to pursue secondary education and try to figure out what my life would look like for taking care of this baby. And throughout the process to do that, I came across the Paul Stephan home um, for an option for myself for housing, which ultimately provided me with the most perfect opportunity to accomplish all the goals that I had for myself. Sounds like you made some really courageous choices in those days. Can you talk to me a little bit how about how the Paul Steffen Foundation helped you and your daughter and, and what you really took away from your time living there? Um, there is, there's so many things, it's so hard to narrow a couple down, <laughs> but um, the most significant are that at 20 years old, um, I still needed a lot of love and support um, from, you know, adults and parents, myself and Randy and Evelyn just immediately started to shower me with so much love and support, kindness, patience. Um, they taught me some really significant life lessons, um, what it meant to be a professional, what it meant to be respectful, what it meant to have integrity, what it meant to be ambitious. And um, Evelyn taught me the best way to be the best mother. Um, she walked me through every step of motherhood, um, as well as providing me with opportunities to connect to connect with community resources in our county, um, how to utilize those resources, how to pursue secondary education with college. Um, the, the five years that I lived there, I was just provided with so much, but ultimately the things that I accomplished was because I had so much love and support. Um, from Randy and Evelyn. Wow. Praise God for their patience and for their love. And talk to me a little bit about your career now. How are you helping women to choose life in the work that you do? So I am a local social worker. Um, I case manage for some pretty significant cases surrounding abuse and neglect. Um, I case manage for foster children. And um, I try my very, very best to make an impact on anyone's life. Um, that I have to work with that has experienced abuse, experienced trauma, experienced neglect, um, because my background has all of that. And I made a way to get through it. I made a way to push through it. Um, and I want, I want to use my own story um, to encourage others that there is a potential to overcome this. Here are resources. Here are ways to overcome this. Here, here are other people and other agencies that can help you heal through this. 
Um, I just present it as it's a process that requires a lot of dedication and work, Mm -hmm. but it is possible. And if those people are willing to walk through that, you know, I offer myself to walk that through with them to support them. Mm. Amen. And we've seen so many pro-life pregnancy centers and maternity homes vandalized across the country by pro-abortion people who are angry about Roe versus Wade being overturned. And, and they're labeling clinics and resource centers, maternity homes as fake clinics. Even big tech and social media are in on this. So Danielle, what would you like these people to know about these centers? That pregnancy homes, maternity homes, clinics, resource centers, they're completely voluntary. There is absolutely nothing about these places that mandate a woman to choose either way regarding life for their baby, um, regarding adoption, regarding parenthood. It's just a resource to give a woman the ability and the opportunity to just take a breath. To, to learn what her options are, what her resources are, and whether that woman chooses adoption or parenthood, then other resources and other processes get put into place. But it's, it's completely conditional on what that woman wants for her life and for her baby. And all women are met right where they're at, right where they're at when they walk in the door um, regarding what they want for themselves, what they want for their babies. Mm-hmm. It's not just a place where women have to go to choose something that they're not comfortable choosing. Um, they're met with whatever they desire and those places and agencies and resources walk this woman through the process with her alongside her. Um, and ultimately the, these clinics and these resources are just an added layer of support to help a woman follow through with the choice that she's made. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for that important information that women need to know. And, and congrats to you on all of your success. Danielle Nicholson, thank former you. resident at the Paul Steffen Home. God bless you. Thanks. Before we end our show tonight, someone very special to me is celebrating her birthday, my mom. If it wasn't for her and for moms everywhere, none of us would be here today. I love you, mom. Thank you for bringing me into the world and for all of the sacrifices you make for our family. Happy birthday. And that does it for this edition of EWTN Pro-Life Weekly. I'm Prudence Robertson. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at EWTN Pro-Life on all social media platforms. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're there. You can also send us a message by emailing prolifeweekly at EWTN.com. We love to hear from you. Remember, life is a gift. Your life is a gift. God bless.